Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Wouldn't all your listeners be more compelled by maybe Nikki Haley and Dean Phillips getting together on a unity ticket and actually doing for the first time, perhaps in our country's history, what most Americans really want, which is cooperation, collaboration, participation, decency, common sense, leadership. So I'm going to turn the question that way because there's no way Nikki Haley will become the nominee in the GOP. And the fact of the matter is right now the Democratic Party doesn't want competition and seems to want to coronate Joe Biden. That's Dean Phillips, congressman from Minnesota, Democratic presidential candidate. You're, is he discussing the idea that he and Nikki Haley should team up? Because if so, if that's the argument he's making, I want to say for the record that uh, uh, Dean Phillips is not actually a Democrat. He is nothing more than a plant by Donald Trump to make Nikki Haley look like a Democrat. And bravo, because that's some 4D chess right there. That is like 27 levels deep. Bravo. Can I get some applause, producer Carl? A little something. That is incredible. Also, holy crap, Nikki Haley didn't need that at all. I mean, if you kicked her puppy, she'd be in a better position than hearing that. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Oh, that's just, that is just a kick in the teeth. Kick in the teeth. The primary is tomorrow, right? Yeah, the primary is tomorrow. And Nikki Haley has no shot. Look, I, I've gone through the numbers. I've made my statement. The real clear politics average has Trump ahead by 25, and I think that number is low. But we'll go with it. Nikki Haley would need to overcome expectations by 16 points to have people talk about her. She has to be in single digits in a loss in order for her, in my view, to keep getting money and keep telling a story. Do you know how difficult that is? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this. It's pretty difficult. In New Hampshire, she did better than expectations by, or was it in Iowa she did better than expectations? No, New Hampshire. It was by seven. Seven. If she does better in South Carolina by seven, she loses by 18. I'm sorry, I don't know what we're talking about here. I don't know what we're talking about. What in the world is there to say about somebody who loses by 18? So you're telling me there's a chance. No. There's no chance. There's absolutely no chance. What in the world are we talking about here? I don't know what we're yelling about. This is over, right? OMG. Are you kidding me right now? I am not. Now, I, I have I, I have uh, uh, producer Carl in a, in a feud with me. He's in a feud, ladies and gentlemen. It is a near fisticuffs. Because the polling also dictates 
that in a general election, Trump barely squeaks by Biden, and in many cases loses to Biden, Nikki Haley wipes the floor with Biden. Producer Carl says, but you see, Tony, the issue here is that Biden's not going to be the nominee, something I have said uh, before, and I truly believe to be the, 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 the case. Um, and if Biden's not the nominee, well, then Nikki Haley's advantage disappears, one would think, because he's not the nominee. So whoever this new Democrat is brings a lot of excitement and gets people off the, the sidelines and moves the independents, and that's her base, so she doesn't get those people. Okay. I'll take that. I counter with this. That is making the argument that Donald Trump will never get those people. Because if somebody new comes on the scene, which is very, very probable, and has the excitement and can get the independence, then Trump's inability to overcome Biden is only compounded. Because right now those people might be in a place of stay home, Biden is this pathetic, dumb old man. I want no part of this election. Everything sucks. I'm going to go have a bourbon, which is not a bad idea. Drink responsibly. Give them somebody else who they can be excited by. All right, I ain't so sure about them, but they're, they're better than Biden, and therefore it's better than Trump. And okay, click, I'm showing up at the polls. Trump has the same exact problem, maybe to the worse. That's my take. But we won't know that thing until we know that thing. And Nikki Haley could try and sell that thing from now until the end of time. Her problem is tomorrow. The problem is right in front of her. And her problem is that everything, absolutely everything is terrible. But his whole place sucks. That's right, it sucks. She's, oh, there's nothing. Now, you, you want me to play the game of what if? Nah, we'll talk about what if later if what if ifs. I'm staring at the numbers. Do I believe anyone poll? Of course not. Have I been burned by polling? You bet. So far... In, in, the, in the states that we have really focused on, Iowa, New Hampshire, the polling has been dead on, at least when it comes to Trump. Not necessarily dead on when it came to DeSantis in Iowa, and not dead on when it has come to uh, Haley in Iowa, New Hampshire. But when it comes to Trump, it has been perfect. If you're supposed to, if it says you're going to win by 53 and you win by 51 and a half, sorry, that's right on. Why would I believe that South Carolina is not right on? Can you explain to me, I mean, walk, walk through it, what it is that Trump may have done in the past week that would make people say, you know what? I don't need this matchup again. I just don't need this matchup again. I don't need this whole Biden-Trump thing one more time. This is crazy. This is ridiculous. I don't want any part of this. This is 
what Nikki Haley thinks is the separator. They're saying 60% of Americans are saying Donald Trump's too old and Joe Biden's too old to be president. You look at the military, they cap retirement at 65. You look at pilots, they cap retirement at 65. We've got a lot to fix in this country. We need someone who can work eight years straight of hard work, day and night, fully disciplined with no drama, no vendettas, just results for the American people. That's what's at stake here. And I'm going to continue to stay in and tell people this as long as I possibly can so the tr- if you want to sell people on you know what no one wants the the biden trump thing okay sure except you haven't sold south carolina this if you had sold south carolina on this you'd be talking about super tuesday but you didn't because maybe there is some part of people that want that want the rematch um, I, I wasn't one of them, but here we are. It's going, it's, it's going down. I'm yelling timber. This is the way it is. This is the way it is. And just remember, if it is not Joe Biden, it will not be Kamala Harris. As demonstrated by our administration's record over the past three years, there are few leaders as committed to bipartisan collaboration than Joe Biden. Are you blanking kidding me? There are few leaders as committed to bipartisan collaboration than Joe Biden. What? These people will say anything. Uh, she's speaking as Biden was speaking uh, to a gathering of, of governors. They, they do these retreats uh, twice, twice a year. Good Lord. I mean, they're shameless and then there's that. Speaking of shameless, CBS and what they've done to Katherine Herridge, that is a story. I'll have that for you next. This is Tony Katz today. I thought I had shared this earlier. This this group in Michigan that is hell-bent on not voting for Joe Biden again. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Her name is Farrah Khan, and she's the co-founder of something called Abandon Biden. Why not? Why are they going to not vote for Biden? Uh, uh, because uh, he hasn't done enough to see Israel be destroyed. Is there a pathway forward for you with Biden? Oh, absolutely not. You cannot keep killing people with our money and just keep thinking that, oh, we are stupid enough to elect you again because we'll fall in line. We'll forget. How can you, how can, like, this is an insult to me as a voter. For you, Biden has a pathway forward. Biden has a pathway forward. It's not saying. And what does that look like? That is him calling for a permanent and immediate ceasefire. The straightforward, simple answer for the Biden administration is push for a ceasefire, stop aiding Israel in their war crimes, Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you, there are enough people who would be willing to deal with it and vote for the man. That's a councilman. Israel's war crimes. This is why I'm going, guys. This is why I'm going. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. I leave uh, next week. 
I leave next week. I will be there for seven, eight days. Uh, a lot of reporting. We're going to be doing a lot of reporting back. Um, you'll be you'll be hearing the commentaries throughout the the, the shows. I got asked yesterday, why, why, really, why are you going? Because somebody has to counteract this insanity. Israeli war crimes. Destroying a terrorist organization is a war crime? You're all nuts. Let's talk about what has actually transpired. Let's talk about the the, the 80,000 plus Israelis who have been uh, displaced. Actual refugees, because their homes were destroyed. Let's talk about the effect that it's having on the whole of the country. Let's talk about the destabilizing reality of a terrorist organization like Hamas. Let's talk about the support from Iran. And let's talk about these bigots, whether they be in Michigan or anywhere else, who won't even admit to what Hamas has done being wrong. They won't admit to it. That's why I'm going. See with my own eyes. Share the stories. And I've got interviews set. I don't know if... You never know if everything's going to happen. I have interviews set with Palestinian reporters. I have got interviews set with 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 leaders. I have, I I'm going to be everywhere. As many places I can get. Sleep is for the weak. But they're not going to vote for Biden unless he goes for a permanent ceasefire. Unless he turns his back on Israel completely, which he has. Unless he stands up and says Let's praise the Intifada. I mean, that's where they're going. Uh, there, There is a Michigan problem. There is a Dearborn issue. There is. We're not discussing the idea of disagreement on, on, on things. We're discussing a, a fundamental question of right versus wrong. And the idea that Israel is always wrong and we're not even allowed to discuss Hamas, that's insane. Because we're not talking about Israeli policy. But this is going to lead me into another conversation. And I, 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 I will get to that. We need to discuss CBS. Because where are the journalists? How are they not standing up? How are they not infuriated? Catherine Herridge gets fired by CBS, which is ins- it's insane. If I had the money to hire Catherine Herridge, I'd hire Catherine Herridge. I would start a news organization around Catherine Herridge. That's how good she is at what she does. She has um, go- has she has been reporting on uh, Hunter Biden's laptop. She reports on foreign policy. She reports on national security. She was. Wooed away, that's right, I said wooed, wooed away from Fox News by CBS. And at the time, I said, what a get. What an incredible get. CBS has a whole bunch of layoffs, and she gets fired. But as she's being fired, they keep her personal files. They keep her laptop. They keep all of her data And very much so, they're going through it. She's reported on Hunter Biden's laptop. Maybe there's information on there that people don't want out. Maybe there are things in there that might hurt their preferred candidate.
The idea that they would seize her documents should have every journalist in America saying, what the hell is this? This is insane. This is disgusting. This is despicable. We can't have this. We demand the release of everything intact. CBS News should be having a boycott from inside CBS News. We're not doing any shows. We're not writing any articles. You have to get fired at the very top. You all got to go. The White House press corps should be apoplectic. The demands on, on, on CBS, the pressure on CBS should be so great, public apologies should be given. But you will note that they are doing this right there in the open. Super loud. They don't worry about what you think. They know that reporters are not going to stand up and say, we don't accept this level of abuse. What kind of nation do you think we have here? We don't do these kinds of things. Nope. No, 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 no. They're going to pretend like all is fine. Who's the woman who does uh, the Sunday shows? Is it Margaret Brennan? Margaret Brennan over there and face the nation. She should, today, I'm not doing the show. Well, you know what? Sunday, you, you do it live? Right? They don't like O'Reilly? Blanket, we'll do it live. As the show starts, uh, this is face the nation. Because of what CBS News has done to Catherine Herridge, I refuse to host the show. And just walk off the set right there. When reporters don't speak out, please stop telling us how important you are and how necessary you are and how good you are and how special you are. Because you are none of those things. Not standing up for Catherine Herridge is obscene. But the fact that they could do this just right out in the open. Now I'm supposed to go to them for news and trust what they have to say? I'm supposed to trust, you're supposed to trust, we're supposed to trust what they have to say? That's, that is, that is nutty. That is gross. And it is my sincerest hope, sincerest hope, Uh, that the pressure on CBS becomes so great that people lose their job. I don't don't think it's going to happen. I don't think we're going to get that lucky. It is just my hope, beyond hopes. I'll leave it uh, there. Uh, I am going to get into... uh, There is a great story about an Australian teen having to deal with the consequences of his actions. Remind me, I got to get to that story. Oh, that story is so great. And uh, I continue my conversation with Congressman Jim Banks regarding China and how they are trying to influence Midwest cities and Midwest mayors. And why aren't we doing more on the federal level to stop things like the Communist Chinese Party buying land in the United States? This is Tony Katz today.
NBA All-Star Weekend comes and goes, and I think most people view it for Indianapolis and for Indiana as a success. Although I will admit that when we do events in, in the state of Indiana, sometimes you hear the buzz, sometimes you feel people kind of like really into it. I didn't get that feeling from NBA All-Star Weekend, but it's very possible that I'm confusing the entirety of the weekend with just the insanity and the patheticness of the actual NBA All-Star game when you can score 211 points and no one is even trying any defense. I mean, it's just boring as sin. So that game might be the thing that's depressing the people who are recognizing the value to Indiana uh, about the weekend, uh, the economic impact, and really putting Indianapolis on, on the map there. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. All I know is since that game, you, you, you take a look at where the Pacers uh, ha have been, and they're up and they're down, and, and they, okay, they beat Detroit. 129 to 115, but it's Detroit. You're supposed to beat Detroit. And by the way, by a, by a much bigger margin. By the way, I'm talking about the games before the All-Star game. We're up and down. JMV joins us from 93.5107.5, the fan. It's the voice of sports uh, in Indiana. That is JMV. Uh, the Pacers beating the Pistons. That's not a story, man. That's exactly what you would expect. But all I'm hearing about is Halliburton's finally healthy and everybody's feeling good. Is that really the takeaway post-NBA All-Star game? Yeah, I mean, Tony, it can be because you're right. They're searching for consistency, and the consistency prior to the All-Star break simply was not there. But they're also looking with consistency and their lineup in mind, too. And, you know, Halliburton being able to play throughout the game and not having his minutes managed like that, you know, having now, you know, Pascal Siakam, you know, being able to get some practice time under his belt as well. And when you have Detroit last night, the third quarter, notwithstanding, it was bad, but the other parts of the game, the other three quarters really good. And they have struggled Tony against teams. They're supposed to beat. They have struggled against teams that they should be beating. And that is a part of what the remaining schedule does include. And that is a bunch of teams that should be beatable for the Pacers. And they have a laundry list of those that they've lost to Charlotte a couple of different times, the Bulls once, the Wizards once. I mean, they have lost the teams in games in which they should have Portland a couple of different times. So maintaining that aspect of consistency, combining that with this roster, um, I should say with the schedule remaining of these games, I think that they can make a move, but it all does come down to consistency, consistency with their team and consistency offensively. And if you can throw in any defense, which they did last night in the first half, that is always going to be helpful as well. But I think there are a lot of reasons to be smiling for these final remaining games in this regular season for the Pacer fans. And we don't regret the trade for Pascal Siakam. Nah. Nah, because they're going. They're trying to do two things at once here. They're going forward in the now, uh, which also will be looking at the future. This is a team that's not ready. It is not ready for what Pacer fans want it to be. However, it is okay to go ahead and go for it right now, to have the leverage to be able to go for it right now and bring in somebody like Siakam in a trade and then long-term hit out and see how he is going to fit 
with others with this particular team moving forward. And that's exactly what the Pacers are doing. So we're going to see ultimately if it pays off to the level that's further down the road. But it's nice to see a team around here go for it in the now, in the present, while also keeping that eyeball in the longer-term future. As we talk about teams with a future, one does not bring up uh, IU men's basketball. Um, it, it's hard to tell what is uh, uglier, their alternate uniforms or or their play. Uh, Mike Woodson does not have a team that seems interested in playing basketball, or are they not interested in playing basketball for him? Um, I, I, don't, I think that what they do is they take their cue from the coach. And a lot of people, they have an issue with Mike Woodson. Obviously, he has a history at IU. Uh, he's got a history in the NBA. He's got a lot of friends, um, a lot of connections, which ultimately is the reason why, at least as to right now, he's probably not going to get the major heat that a lot of Hoosier fans want him to get. But I think that, that his team is reflective of what a lot of people will tell you where Mike Woodson is in his career right now. And you wonder how hard he works, and you don't have to wonder how hard they play because they demonstrate the lack of that on a nightly basis. That's the one thing that IU fans can't get past is this team kind of just going about it halfway and a halfway means and not putting it all out there. When they break down games nationally, give you a great example the other night against Nebraska, all three of the Big Ten Network guys said, hey, the one thing about this IU team that's consistent is they just simply don't play hard. They don't play hard for themselves. They don't play hard for their coach. And it makes you wonder if all those rumors out there of him not teaching that particular culture of working hard has had an impact on its players because that's the way that it looks. Talk to me about this idea that Coach Woodson isn't working hard. Where, do, where does that come from? Uh, there's, there is, and, and again, this is all, all rumor. This is a lot of well, you hired a guy that, what is he, 60-something years of age, uh, a little bit. Because college basketball right now is, you, you get a guy from the NBA and college basketball is much different. You've got to not just work harder than those in other coaching aspects. You know, they're talking about high school and certainly the NBA. But you have a lot more of a dynamic you have to work on now. I'll give you a great example, Tony. You have to re-recruit everybody every single year it used to be i'm going to go out and recruit these high school guys maybe i'll take a shot at juco you know maybe there is a transfer out there but now because of the transfer portal and nil money in a way in which everything works in college basketball you have to re-recruit your team every single year and i know it, it would just stand to reason like i'm a guy i like the 80s I like the 90s, right? I like to look back. Mike Woodson probably feels the same way. He probably loved 90s basketball, probably dug on 80s basketball, probably still lives in the world of college basketball when he played at IU in the late 70s. So it's harder to get those that have been outside this for a while to work at a level that younger, unestablished, have not been there and done that types have. Hence, you end up getting outworked. And that's what a lot of people would suggest Mike Woodson and his staff are getting right now is outworked by others that certainly are younger, uh, certainly have not as many resources 
but a lot more desire to make it to where Mike Woodson and others have been and still aren't there yet. So it depends on what you listen to and what you believe. But what you can tell is this IU team plays lazily entitled more times than not. That has to come from someplace. Dude, that is a brutal... I mean, I, 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 I hear it, and, and when you say to me, well, the rumor is, I mean, you've got your sources, you've got your people, talking yeah. to JMV, the voice of sports, in Indiana, and, and so when I, when I hear it from you, I, I take it as, as, okay, he's got the people where I believe this is true, but that is an unbelievably damning thing to say about a coach and about a team, that you all are lazy. Yeah. If, if I'm a player, I'm responding to that, with with on the court, I'm responding to that with a show of force. You're saying that now nah, they don't care, Tony. They did the other night against Nebraska. They're down twenty at the half, got booed off the floor, and came out of the half and played the most inspired basketball they did in that entire game. The problem is, Tony, it's fleeting. It's not long lasting, and that has been the huge inconsistency with this group. I know they're without a point guard. I know they're without three-point shooting, and all that is a faulty build, again, with Mike Woodson. And Mike Woodson did go after guys in the transfer portal last year. He lost out on them. IU's got way too much money banked away from NIL, way too much money to be losing out on others. When you know you have to have it, you have to go out there and get it. And he did not. He also talked about Jalen Hutchfino. We didn't know that he wasn't going to come back. He spent one year here and then went to the NBA. Well, it was pretty obvious to everybody out there that Jalen Hutchifino was going to be a one-and-done for a long period of time last year. So you have malfunctions in observing what is necessary for your team, and then you look at your team and you watch them and how hard they play, which is something I'm sure that they don't go out and say, hey, I mean, you guys are going to probably half ass it here for you know 10 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever. But that's just how they play. That's what they resemble as a team. They went hard at it to begin the second half the other night against Nebraska. That's basically the entire time you saw them go hard. And whether or not that's them, that's how they've been taught, or how they're being coached right now, it is detrimental to this team and winning games and consistency. And, again, you just kind of point the finger, all right, who is it? You know, who's behind all this? And it always comes at the feet of Mike Woodson. It is going to until he either proves everybody out there wrong or ends up moving on. Let's move it over to the NFL. The combine is uh, going to be happening. The Colts on the clock with the 15th pick in the NFL draft. What are the needs? Who are we losing? And once again, we play our favorite game. Is this Chris Ballard's final go as general manager? Well, it's funny. I had said all along, Tony, when he got rebooted, right, that he was going to have at least three years, at least three years to, you know, figure out whether or not that Anthony Richardson is going to be able to thrive with the pieces he puts together. But you have to think about it this way, too. If Anthony Richardson returns and is healthy and this this team is backpedaling, and when you're talking about, you know, an eighth year for Chris Ballard, that may be problematic for him. There's still a lot to talk about in that category. That may end up being problematic for him. However, 
when you look at what this team needs, and you mentioned that at the outset, this team obviously needs more weapons for Anthony Richardson. It obviously needs corner help, which you can make an argument. If they would have been more adequate at corner this past year, ultimately they could have been in the postseason. They could have won the AFC South for the first time since 2014. That was a tactical error right there in judgment by Chris Ballard. But overall, they need weapons. Uh, wide receiver, tight end. Brock Bowers is a guy out of Georgia that may be available at 15, who's kind of a hybrid tight end, George Kittle type of guy that would really work well here. I don't know if they draft a tight end at 15, but they need as many weapons as possible. Here's the thing, Tony, we're going to watch beginning next week at the Combine and then moving forward in a month when the free agency period begins is Chris Ballard's philosophy different. It used to be building on both sides of the football. You're going to win by running it, blah, 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 and all that. But now you have a running around the pocket quarterback. You have an extending of the play quarterback, a talented quarterback. Are you going to finally give that quarterback all the weapons that is necessary? And then the type of influence in year number two Shane Steichen is going to have on this draft, according to the type of weapons that he desires, the type of weapons that are necessary, and what he wants to bring in for his offense and his quarterback. So we've got the 15th pick, we've got the 46th pick, we've got the 82nd pick, round one, two, and three. Uh, not people, positions. Your you're top three, you're the Colts. What, are we, what positions are you looking for? Well, I always say wide receiver. People get tired of that. I go wide receiver, corner, and tight end right now. I mean, it'd be great to have an edge rusher, a consistent, more consistent edge rusher, uh, even though that is a huge need. I'm going to put that on the back burner right now and just tell you wide receiver, cornerback, and tight end is what they desperately need. There's maybe a season two to where late in this draft you um, you end up drafting somebody that's going to take over for Ryan Kelly at center uh, further down the road. That may be someplace you go later in the draft. But those three positions is where I would begin if I'm Chris Ballard going through free agency and then obviously in that April NFL draft. Michael Pittman going to get uh, – I, I don't know if he's gotten already. The franchise tag, is he going to get – or is he just going to get re-signed and say, here's all the money you deserve, let's not worry about this anymore? Well, I mean, one of the philosophies of Chris Ballard, he doesn't really go about anything quickly, so he'll probably exhaust what the two-week period is that began on Tuesday of being able to franchise tag player. Colts haven't done it since Pat McAfee. Um, I would not suggest that they're going to just because they haven't and they rarely, rarely have utilized it. But if they're going to, that would give them an opportunity to then try to figure out what else is going on as well. However, I will tell you this, Tony, normally if you franchise tag somebody and they stick with it for a year, then he's going to miss a lot of the off-season stuff, right? A lot of the voluntary off-season stuff. And this is not the type of off-season with Anthony Richardson coming back from an injury where you want your main guy to miss. You want everybody together. So I'm assuming at some point they extend him. They may place the franchise tag on him, continue to talk, and then get a deal done further down the road to buy them a little bit more time. I just think ultimately it's going to be an extension for Michael Pittman Jr. to stay right here because much like us, they recognize the value. JMV, he is the voice of sports in Indiana, 93.5107.5. The fan out of Indianapolis, I appreciate you taking the time. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz.
It has been 75 years since the Battle of Iwo Jima. And for all we talk about World War II, it is clear that there is not enough concentration given to the insanity and brutality that was uh, the, the war in the Pacific. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Find it all at TonyKatz.com. I mean, you're fighting over islands that nobody would want to spend any time on and, and the necessity and how it moved one thing to another and the demoralization of, of uh, the, the imperialist Japanese and, and the lives lost. It's, it's madness, true madness. When you think about what it was like to endeavor and say, this is how we have to do it, and then to have the force that went about doing it. So that, that 75th anniversary has been going on for, for a few days. Today is actually the anniversary of the raising of the flag. You, you've, you've seen the picture, of course. You've got these Marines putting up uh, the, the, the flag there on Mount Suribachi, S-U-R-I-B-A-C-H-I. It's this incredible photo. It's actually the second time they did it. They did it for the photo op because they had done it the first time and they missed it. And so today is the 75th anniversary of that, of that flag raising. <laughs> know your history. Start studying. It's an incredible story. I wonder sometimes if we have a military who that could do that today. And that frightens me to no end. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz today.